0: Hello and thank you for joining me. My name is Damien and this is Footworks, the private practice podcast for foot care professionals.
1: I'd like to welcome uh, our very first guest on the Footworks podcast, Mr. Kieran Canning. Uh, Kieran, thank you for joining us. Um, when I asked to join us on the first podcast, you were an award-winning podiatry practice. And in a very short time that you've come onto the podcast, you're a double award-winning uh podiatry practice. So congratulations and a very warm welcome. Would you like to say hello to our listeners? Thanks very much, Damien. Thanks for the invite.
0: So I wanted to start the interview by asking Kieran, why did you choose podiatry as a career?
2: I didn't I didn't grow up wanting to be a podiatrist. I didn't have a fascination with feet that's for sure. But um, I did have a career in the NHS before I became a podiatrist, uh, right. but I'd kind of reached the, the ceiling of what I was going to achieve in that job. And uh, a friend of mine was doing podiatry, actually, which was Angus um, Shannon, who practices in
1: Bournemouth. And, so you're, you're, sorry to interrupt, your job in the NHS before wasn't podiatry, you saying? No, it wasn't
2: at all. I worked in burns and plastic surgery um, oh. in, in theatre. As a technician. So it's ah, a
1: right. Interesting. So it was it was coming into contact with with people in the podiatry department that then got you interested in.
2: Um,
1: no, I wouldn't say that,
2: Damien. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't
1: say that. At all. Um, no, I, I. It was.
2: Lack of opportunity. And a friend of mine was studying podiatry and he thought that I needed a, a move. Well, he agreed that I needed a move and um, he recommended podiatry for the scope of practice. So he sold it to me on, it was this sheer scope of practice, being able to work privately, being able to be part of a team or work on your own. And then all the niches and nuances of sports podiatry and MSK, dermatology. And and, and I thought That's, that sounds like this for me. I um, applied as a mature student, never believing that I would get in and, and, and was accepted when
1: unconditional. So it was time to get my stuff sorted out and get to university. So that must have been quite difficult in the early years because obviously you, were, you had a job and you were earning and you had a, a career and a salary. So uh, as we know in, in, in the UK, you've got to do a uh, three or was it a four year with yourself in Scotland? Four in Scotland. Four, four in Scotland, Scotland yeah. So a four-year degree, full-time. So you know that's that's a huge commitment to start with. Mm -hmm. I know. I gave it all up. (laughs) We had had a salary and
2: and I was settled in in Belfast and um, took it all on a punt to go and study podiatry. But I mean, it's worked out for the best. I've got no regrets. But it was a big decision at the time,
1: a huge decision to give up a career or change a career. But this one is a better one. Yeah, absolutely. Well. You know, with what you've achieved in such a short amount of time, uh, you've obviously made the right choice.
0: So, Kieran had chosen podiatry as a second career. So, I wanted to know: Were you always going to go into private practice?
2: I would say that when I started as a first-year podiatry I didn't know in the business. Um, I just wanted to become a podiatrist, and then um, as I progressed through the undergraduate program the year three and certainly in the year four, it became apparent that the jobs that we thought were all waiting for us on graduation um, either weren't there or they were jobs that weren't stable. So they were zero-hour contract jobs, bank work, band five, kind of moving between one department or hospital and another, and um, that wasn't really something that I really wanted to embark on um, for security. So uh, I only realized about becoming a private practitioner
1: probably about year three or year four. Right, so did you did you go straight into private practice, or uh, did you work in the NHS first as a as a podiatrist and then go into private practice? Um, more or less. So I kind of I did um,
2: on in a February before I graduated, graduating in April. So I had the confidence enough to go and rent a property <laughs> and sort of it out even before I officially um, graduated. And I worked for a very short time in NHS, and I knew very quickly. Um, that, that this wasn't for me, uh, that I could, because I couldn't control it, and maybe this is more to do with my personality than mm-hmm. than anything to do with podiatry, but because I couldn't control the time, the resources, and essentially the overall, the umbrella of care, I,
0: I, I, I felt very limited in how I was going to help people. I wanted to know about the early years of foot medic. Well, I can, I can, you, you, you will be
2: able to identify with this. It was, I wasn't in a very good place when I started the practice. Um, I had just graduated, had a wife who was pregnant expecting her first child. And we just moved to house uh, a couple of months before that. We didn't have any money. Um, and I started the private practice really because of the lack of opportunity. So well, if there are no jobs, I'm going to have to create Job. I'll just have to make a job for myself, and that was really the the stimulus behind it. Um, we we got this tiny building. We had one treatment room and one waiting area. The whole building was probably about um, about one hundred and fifty square feet. It was really, really very small. And um, the the house that we rented was across the street from the clinic. And I think that that was be helpful because it let me. You know, awful lot Um, but it was it was a very very stressful time with a newborn baby no sleep and then when you could get sleep you were you might be worried about bills um things that were looming that you had to pay and uh, things that you'd ordered and things and that all knew me um so it was a fantastically stressful time and we didn't have any patients i didn't buy a practice or buy a list of you know uh Mm. that, that or anything i just opened the doors i ordered the The best that I could afford, podiatry equipment. And um, I wanted to do it differently. So my my impression of private practice was really quite, we have a word in Scotland, I'm not sure if you're familiar, is fusty. Um, It was really quite old-fashioned and dreary is what I think of private practice. And I struck out to try and do it differently. The practice had to be bright and clean and airy and smell right and the, there had to be a level of hospitality so you know we worked really hard to get um, fresh ground coffee on the go for everyone all the time and the big fresh magazines and um, just it was the attention to detail I think that
1: that helped it grow so quickly. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting to hear that in the early years you you, you had a you had a vision of, of where you wanted to be uh, and obviously you know we'll talk about branding a little bit later um, but you know you, you you just wanted your patients to have an impression even though you didn't have the square footage uh, and, and perhaps the money, but you wanted to do the best you had. I love the fact that you said you wanted it to be clean because mm-hmm. ultimately in, in healthcare, I think that is the most important, important thing that when you come into any any building, even though uh, it may not have the financial resource, if it's clean and it's maintained, then the patients know that they're in safe hands.
2: It's, I think it's the impression that you're trying to create, and I wanted to create an experience that went way beyond. The podiatry part was, actually the easy part and I think for most podiatrists, we're quite comfortable with that we know how to treat we can relieve the pain we can make them feel better and improve the quality of their life but but what else could we do and it was about providing an experience that was comfortable and I wanted people to come back because they want to come not because they had to come and that that was the that was kind of crucial for me from the very beginning but starting off I think it's important to bear in mind when it's thinking of starting off it was a very lonely time And and podiatry is quite a lonely profession. I spent a lot of time sitting by myself waiting for the phone to ring. Um, But on the flip side, that also provided a lot of time for me to grow and market and implement strategy and do the jobs that I wouldn't have been able to do if I was fully booked. And and that is a risk that can happen as as you grow and you get fully booked seeing patients, that you're so busy seeing patients that other things then don't get the attention that they need. So I I used a lot of that downtime to focus on planning. Growth market, and
1: trying to think about strategy. What would it look like? How would it work? Obviously, you know, you're a, you're a very focused uh, guy. Uh, I mean, you wouldn't have achieved what you've achieved without having that focus to drive you forward. It's, it's interesting you're talking about strategy because strategy is probably something that I have only really worked and developed on latterly um and you know you were thinking of this sort of five years ago with a brand new business and a baby and a lack of sleep so you know to think about a strategy i might have been thinking about trying to get some sleep so that's probably mm, well. why my my <laughs> clinics are not a double award-winning clinic in five years so no, that's I, quite I interesting think, you mentioned strategy yeah i think there's a whole language that
2: we don't speak um as podiatrists we're very all throughout the training process we're very focused on patient care very focused on outcomes, which is absolutely the way it should be. But I've been saying for a long time that as the landscape of podiatry changes and the NHS opportunities are not the same as they used to be, and more graduates will go into private practice that the universities really could do with introducing some form of structured business. Trainer,
1: absolutely. Um, and I, I'd, I like to, think. I, I'd like to. I'd like to stop you on, uh, at that point, not because I don't want to hear what you want to say, but I would mm. like to bring that in when we speak a little further about the future development of mm. uh, where you see podiatry in, in, in the future and uh, some advice for our listeners.
0: Five years on, you've built an award-winning. So, what's the recipe of your success? Okay, well, we have we have a
2: lot of things that we talk about amongst the team members here, but I can, I can distill it in the one sentence. And that would be that in essence, we have the capability to improve the quality of our patients' lives. And that, Underpins everything that we do. So, whether it's reduction of pain or getting people more active, or we help them to lose weight because we reduce their pain, or we help them walk their dog, or whatever it is that they set out. And we ask them at the very first time that we meet, What is it you want to achieve? How can we help you? So, they'll say, Oh, wait, can you take out my corn? But there's more than that. They think that's why they're there but um, the corn is stopping them from doing something else. So once you start drilling down into that, you can really get to the deeper impact of podiatry. And I think that that's the message that is a useful one for podiatrists to work on every day. It's not the fact of removing a corn or or an ingrown toenail. It's what the effect of that has on the patient. What does that mean for them? Um, Sure, they feel better, but then what? Um, So the podiatrists that work here, that's the, the way that we think.
1: We have a deeper, I, I believe, a deeper um, insight to what we actually are doing for the people. I love that. I, I really, really do. And to be perfectly honest with you, I've never really heard that before. I mean, I've heard people talk about, uh, you know, podiatry uh, and, and the impacting on the quality of people's lives. But I've never heard somebody, you know, from a private practice say, we don't just think about treating the patient. We think about what we're going to be able to enable that patient to do for the future. There's a lot of work that gets done in the team. Um, we
2: reinforce the values. We try and share the vision. We try everybody to think the same, speak the same, not in a robotic way, but that we share the, an understanding of what we're all trying to achieve. And you can't—that's one thing. You, someone could set up a practice, and they could buy all the stuff, the kit, they can have the ultrasound and all that stuff. But what they can't copy or emulate is the, the structure and the vision and the values of the team. Um, that's something that you can that you can. Uh, Pretend or or, or copy.
0: Um, so we're always working on that. Kieran has built a premium price practice. I wanted to get his thoughts.
1: Fee. We all know it's been said time and time again that we, you know we walk into a dental practice. You know it's going to cost a certain amount of money to have whichever treatment, uh, whether it be you know uh, primary care or, or, or cosmetic care. We expect to pay it, and, and, and you know, this is where we need to be with podiatry, certainly. There's a lesson in that, you know, and we should be looking at
2: that as an example. Um, and I would say, sum it up and say, look, it's not just about price. There's lots of talk that goes on all the time about increased prices. My patients can't afford that. Look where I live. I live in the northwest. The northeast, the southeast, the southwest. People can't afford it. People can't afford it in Wales. They can't afford it in Scotland. Mm. People can afford to pay for things worth it. And the mistake that we make is that we place, we mix up value. And cost. They're not the same thing. So people think that low cost is good value. Low cost does not always equate good value. So I, and, and equally high cost does not always equate good care. So if you're going to set your prices where they need to be, then you have to go and prove it to your patients that you're worth it. That, and essentially, if I could, honestly, if that was the thing that I could tell myself uh, on graduation day, set your fees where they need to be so that you're comfortable with them, and then prove that you're worth
0: it. So we've heard about the past and the present, but what's the future for Footmedic?
2: Over the next couple of years, our plan here is to mature and consolidate. We have had accelerated growth over the five years, and that has cost a lot of money in terms of reinvestment. Um, and that's, I'm very happy with where it is at the moment. I've got no plans to continue to expand at this rate. I think to continue to expand at this rate could be um, damaging, really. You know, we have to take a step back, okay, get right. ducks in a in Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you can become something I heard quite recently—a high, a highly geared business where there's so much risk in your in your investment that you have to work very, very hard. Then there's a lot of pressure mm-hmm. to meet the, to meet the demands on that. So over the next three or four years, I think we'll consolidate and mature. But the long-term plan always was to have either. Uh, a series of satellite clinics that would feed into a central hub. So we wouldn't mm-hmm. have to reinvest in a number of clinics. We just have receiving clinics where they could be triaged and assessed and then sent over to the HQ. Very yeah, um, and Or um, to develop it into a larger healthcare hub. So to incorporate the other allied health professions and thinking way beyond physiotherapy, that would be the first one that would come. But um, this speaks its the speaker's language therapist. or... Uh, <laughs> So it's like, I need so The speech and language therapist, the uh, the occupational therapist, the doctor, the dentist, the, the optometrist. That they all come in to a hub, and we have a private healthcare facility. So yeah. that's two. And I don't know which one will come depression but
1: um i'm just going to consolidate over the next three or four years yeah it's very interesting I can, I can see uh well i can see either working for you because obviously you're somebody that, that is prepared for the time and, and, and the effort and the investment uh in, into achieving it um uh, it would it would be lovely for the insight that i've had in your uh, in your beautiful clinic there to see that as a as a uh, two-story uh um, healthcare hub i can could really see that working foot medic might have to change the name but yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> but that's uh, that, that's for another uh, a, another time yeah, um, the, cue,
2: uh-huh. the, cue, the clue the is and the name that the, the, you talked about in your last podcast about choosing your name uh-huh. and it was foot we think about foot and ankle medicine not yeah. but we're thinking about joint function joint disease ultrasound scanning referral pathways speaking to orthopedic surgeons and having those relationships so that whatever happens blood testing. Uh, for inflammatory disease, for guide presentations, and checking that, and not having to refer everything back to the GP, who at the end of the day doesn't know as much about feet as you. So it was almost as if we were sending it back to someone who didn't know as much as us. That didn't make any sense to me. So we try and take care of as much of it as
1: well. I know, it's incredible. I mean, I, when I first uh, uh, stumbled across uh, yourself in your clinic, uh, i i was absolutely amazed by you know the, the breadth of services that you were offering uh you know it, it's far more than than we offer in our clinics uh, currently and it's far more than than, than most podiatrists offer in their clinics. There are more and more podiatrists certainly uh, uh getting up to speed with all this but you know you were a trailblazer with regards to offering a breakfast service uh, there is an
2: awakening in the profession there's there's a there, there's a operation is the wrong word, but there are podiatrists who are saying, you know, we should be doing all this. I'm qualified to do this.
1: Mm-hmm. I've learned to do this. Um,
2: and I think that is happening.
1: But, all- but it's, it's, it's fair to say, because I, I speak with a lot of podiatrists uh, and, and people in, in, in foot health, um, that you shouldn't feel Inferior if you're not uh, doing ultrasound or you're not doing gait analysis or you're not doing blood testing or injections. Of course, you shouldn't feel that you're an inferior clinic. Um, what would be better in, in, is to feel that you are uh, a clinic that is excellent at what you do. But you have referral pathways to other clinics, perhaps such as yourself. Um, to be able to assist that patient who may be out of your uh, remit with regards to either skill or equipment. Um, yeah. So it, it, people shouldn't feel, you know, shouldn't listen to this podcast or maybe uh, look you up uh, on, on the internet and think, well, I don't do or have any of that and I can't see me being able to achieve that in the next five years and, and feel that they, they're running an inferior practice. Um, is an excellent of what they do. If their routine uh, if if their core is routine foot care, I mean, you know, going back mm-hmm. to my uh, future development for a domiciliary business, we won't be able to do any in people's mm-hmm. homes. So we want to be yeah. able to provide a, uh, a, a national service, a standardised national service at the highest level. And then when we come across problems that need uh, further attention, then we're able to refer back into clinics that can manage such okay. as your... There's own. absolutely nothing wrong
2: with routine foot care. And going back to what we said earlier about improving the quality of people's lives, that is absolutely essential. That underpins the entire profession but uh, the the message that i get out is that but there is there is another level and, and you're right about not feeling inferior if a business um i, I often feel this way when i talk uh, or listen to people talking about the dietary business and that you there is a risk that you feel that i'm not making that much, i'm not successful well first of all the key word there's money it's not money doesn't make people happy that's a, a misconception but the second one is instead of comparing ourselves to each other if your business gives you the lifestyle that you want successful regardless of the amount of money so if you only work three days a week and you work three days a week and you've got four days off every week that's pretty much successful yeah. so it all depends what success means and, and a bit like the value and money thing people also get confused with money success um having material wealth does not equate to happiness and, and success. But I think having time to spend at home, time that you don't have to go to work every day. You don't have to clock in at nine o'clock every single day of your life. That's that's valuable.
0: And what about the rest of us? What's the future of foot care?
2: It's gonna be a divergence in the profession. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that there will be a number of providers who will go after their specialist areas, the MSK practitioners, the dermatologists, and that's already happening. And I think that will continue to happen and become more established. I think that the role of HP and the food care assistant is one that's often, uh, it's a it's a very taboo topic sometimes in podiatry circles. The FHP is here, it's happening. And I think that um, from a podiatry point of view, I don't feel intimidated or threatened by it. Um, and I and I think that the future of podiatry will depend on them to provide routine food care and then work closely with or under the guidance of podiatry and know that they've established referral pathways in the community that they can refer into if they come across things that they are not qualified to treat or that they don't know what's happening um, and that they can refer them in the confidence that they won't be, uh, you know, mocked or or, or
1: um, in any no, way I, for, for referring and, 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 and that we can work alongside them. I, I think absolutely. I mean, uh, I... I... I think there's a more positive approach uh, generally uh, I think both sides um, are and it's terrible to say sides but I think both sides of the foot camp fashion podiatry and foot uh, and, and foot health uh, practitioners um, uh, both sides want to have this sort of harmonious working relationship um, uh, it, it at the moment uh, it's it's unstructured I think uh, when when um, uh, foot health practitioners become regulated in some way. Uh, this will all change. I, I firmly believe that, and I speak with many foot health practitioners, and uh, they they want regulation. Uh, uh, and I think if we've got regulation, then we all know where we are and where we fit into the into, uh, into the jigsaw.
2: Um, yeah, I think
1: in the absence of, um, if, if there's a of, of leadership
2: and debate and open discussion of planning and strategic implementation of this, I mean it's already happening, but I think that it's happening in quite a, a calamitous way. It's just unfolding the way that it'll unfold. If uh, the leaders sure. of these professions have strong uh, bonds for their, and they can negotiate and, and establish what is going to happen and what those
1: roles involve. I think that's going to help them feel supported and it'll help us feel less threatened. Absolutely and and it's getting back to you know what you said about referral pathways. I mean we we, we all are stood on a run of the ladder um, professionally um, uh, and the run of that ladder is very much determined by yourself and where you've taken your uh, profession. Uh, I believe so for instance um, I would like to class myself as a very good general practitioner, but I'm, I'm certainly not a biomechanics specialist. I'm certainly not a, a, a dermatology specialist, I'm certainly not a, a, a wound specialist. So we, we, we all have our limitations. I'm still on the run of a, of a ladder, and I'm happy to refer in, 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 in all these directions uh, so that the, the patient, the quality of care for the patient is, is there. Um, this, this happens in all all professions, I mean, especially in healthcare, you know, you don't sort of get the uh, the, the cardiologist saying, well, you know, I'll have a little go at uh, orthopedics and see how I get on, um, it, you know, and, and, and so there's a, for us all in, in, in the foot care profession, um, and, and once we all feel comfortable in our place and happy and we have a good relationship with those around us that we refer to. And it's a little bit touching your aspirations or foot medic uh, and and running a multidisciplinary clinic. You will run a multidisciplinary clinic because you already know about the patients that are coming into your practice, that they have multiple needs outside of the podiatry and what you can offer. And you want to be able to... No want to be an expert in everything.
0: And finally, I wanted to ask Kieran, what piece of advice would you give for the rest of it? I would
2: say, to wrap it up into a statement, I would do it and do it better than, any, than you've ever done it before. Do it better than your competition and don't have to do it. So go all in. Uh, give your patients an experience over and above the physical act of treatment and communicate with them effectively follow up on them make sure that they feel okay after you've seen them don't assume that because they've not come back um, and build that relationship with them. so it comes back to this the well-established like trust thing, where people come to you because they trust you money isn't the factor that is not important i know that you can help me that's why i'm here um and if you can work on that and and, and charge
1: appropriately and then prove that you are worth the price that is the the kind of take on the of what we're trying to do yeah absolutely thank you so much for your time um i know that you've got a busy day ahead of you like like every other day um it's a happy belated birthday um you're up very early enough. this morning after your uh, 40th birthday am i allowed to say that um it's been an look absolute a day over 41 <laughs> <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure um uh, i won't Bombard your inbox uh, because I'm sure there's lots of people that would like to, to contact you. Um, uh, but uh, I'm sure you'll find Kieran uh, or certainly his practices on, on, on all the socials, he's on Instagram. Uh, he's on Facebook under, under FootMedic. Um, if you've got any uh, questions, I'm sure that he will happily get get through them when he's got when he's got a minute. Uh, otherwise, please you know send them uh, send them to us here at uh, Footworks under the Murray Medical brand. And uh, thank you very much for listening. And thank you very much, Kieran. And enjoy the rest of your day.
0: Listening to Kieran, it's clear that one of the major factors of his success is that he had a plan from the start and he stuck to it. Join us next week where we'll be discussing business planning for private practice. See you then.